0: All right, we are in Proverbs 29, and would somebody read verses 1 to 6?
1: A man who hardies his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond ribbon. When the righteous, in- when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. A man who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but he who keeps company with harlots wastes his wealth. The king gives stability to the land by justice, but a man who takes bribes overthrows it. A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. By transgression an evil man is ensnared, but the righteous sings and rejoices.
0: Well, 29.1 is kind of the uh, climax of a bunch of proverbs. How many proverbs talk about how we receive rebuke and correction? And what's he saying here?
2: If you harden your neck, you're going to be broken.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you resist reproof, you're going to be destroyed. You know, how many times do we stubbornly refuse to listen to somebody who's correcting us? Just trying to prove we're right. Trying to not let them, you know, be, be right. And look at how much it hurts us. Eric? Is this kind of like uh, Hebrews chapter 6? About how it's impossible to renew? the person that's fallen away? Well maybe in a way, because you know, if we have that attitude, then what can bring us back? We won't listen to rebuke, what else is there? And so, you know, it's like, you know, the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, really the more stubborn they are against rebuke, the more damage it's going to do to them. You know, it's hard to accept reproof well, it's very easy for us to be stubborn and self-willed and not like it when somebody says we're doing wrong. But it's just going to hurt us. You know, how smart is it for somebody to help us by correcting us and we won't listen to it? Because we don't want to be corrected. We want to always be right. Uh, and, and eventually, then, it becomes hopeless. Eventually, we, we, there is no remedy uh, for us. Uh, because we, you know, if we don't have the ability to accept correction, then what else is there? What can we do? Um, do you remember the passage in Second Chronicles thirty-six sixteen, talking about the fall of Judah? But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. There's an example. Judah not listening, not listening, not listening to the rebukes of the prophets until they fell and there was no remedy. So that would be kind of a historical application of this principle. You can get to where there's no coming back because you've just resisted too much rebuke. Listen to rebuke. We hate it. It makes us feel stupid, but it helps us. Comments? And verse 2, we're back to the same principle. You know, we see it so often. We saw it twice in chapter 28. We're going to see it another time also in chapter 29. The idea of it's great when the righteous people are doing well, but when the wicked man does well, watch out. It's a bad thing. That seems to be almost kind of this sub-theme throughout these two chapters. You don't want the wicked people ruling. Don't put them on top. You get a wicked boss, and it just destroys the company. You know, you just, wicked man who's in charge anywhere is bad news for everybody. And then in verse three, if you want to make your father glad, what do you need to do? Love
2: wisdom.
0: Yeah. Because you're going to be able to take care of him when he gets old. You're going to prosper. But if you are the companion of harlots, you're going to spend everything you got. You won't be able to take care of your father. You know, it's a much better thing for the father if the son is wise. And then again in verse 4, what's good leadership follows what principle? Justice. That is foundational for leadership. You know, you need to be just. A greedy leader will bring the nation down, a just leader will build it up. It's the character of the leader that determines the direction of society. So you might think, always think about that. Keep that, you know, in your mind. Then look at verses 5 and 6. What happens when a man flatters his neighbor? He is just like hunting him and going to bring him down in a trap. Because the more you tell somebody how wonderful they are and how great they are, what starts happening inside the person you're telling that to? They start thinking, that they're, better than everybody. They start thinking they're better than everybody. They start being prideful. What happens when a person starts being prideful? They bring others down, they bring themselves up. Yes, but then what happens to them? They fall. They fall, why?
2: Probably because like they're not being careful anymore.
0: Absolutely. They do unwise, risky things because they think they're not vulnerable. <laughs> you know, I mean think about, um, well, I don't know, I'm just thinking of some kind of a, an everyday example. Um, what about a coach who tells his team they're practicing the preseason to get ready for their opponents? Coach says, "You guys are great, man. You guys are so much better than the other teams. You guys are—I've never had a team as good as you guys. You guys are just tremendous. You know all that. Well, what are they probably not going to do? They're not going to work as hard because they're great. They don't need to." and what's going to happen to them in the game. It's going to be disastrous. What about, you know, what about teaching? What what if you were like um, a driver's ed instructor? (laughs) And and you tell your students, oh, you are wonderful drivers. Man, you're just so good. That probably wouldn't be a very good idea, do you think? (laughs) You know? Flattering somebody, swelling their head, so to speak, is a good way to bring them down. Don't do that. You know, it, it's going it's to hurt them and probably end up hurting you as well. So um, be honest with people, but don't try to flatter them. We know if, some, if we tell people what they want to hear, they'll like us better, but in the long run, we're hurting them and ourselves. Comments and thoughts about that?
2: So is the net spread for
0: the man doing the flattering or the man he is flattering? I think the man he is flattering. I think that's what he's saying. You're going to you're going to trap and bring him down because it's going to make him prideful and unwise about what he does. So don't don't listen to flatterers. They're just out to get you. Maybe that's not their motivation, but that's what it's going to turn out to be. When somebody tells you you're the you know, greatest thing since sliced <coughs> bread, you're not. None of us are. Alright, other thoughts? Alright, uh, how about 7 through 12? But
2: the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Mockers stir up a city, but wise men turn away anger. If a wise man goes to court with a fool, the fool rages and scoffs, and there is no peace. Bloodthirsty men hate a man of integrity and seek to kill the upright. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. If a ruler listens to lies, all his officials become wicked.
0: Some really true statements here. You know, the righteous cares about the rights of the poor. You know, righteous people will take care of even those without influence that are being mistreated. You know, a righteous person wants to see everybody treated properly. Wicked people don't care. Wicked people can see a Lazarus at their gate every day and not even pay attention. You know, it doesn't matter as long as it doesn't hurt them. But righteous people hate injustice, and they will work to try to see that the right thing is done. Are you righteous or wicked? You know, do we care about, you know, people who don't have influence, people who don't have any way to help or hurt us, but they're being mistreated? Does that bother us when we stand up for them? Um, You know, you really have to think about that. Do you see people who are commonly mistreated, who would be people who you would see today as commonly mistreated? Socially awkward, people. Socially awkward people. Is that true? Do they get mistreated? How do you treat them? You don't want anybody to think you're, they're a friend of theirs, do you? That could be social suicide. You know, so... We really need to stand up for them and not, certainly not treat them that way. There's others, you know, sometimes people of different nationalities, different races can be treated badly. A godly person would stand up for them. So, you know, be concerned about the rights of everybody, even those that other people are looking down on and mistreating. Comments and thoughts? In verse eight, scorners, scoffers, they just keep things in an uproar. Wise people calm things down and keep peace. It is amazing how you take one foolish person and they can just keep everybody all upset all the time. Sometimes that's true in a church. You can take one loose tongue person and man, they can keep people mad at each other and keep conflicts going and things like that. You know, all because they just, they say unwise things at bad times. Think about it. You may not see this yet, but you will. In a church, if you're very involved, eventually you're going to know things you're not supposed to know. You're going to know some gripes and criticisms that various people have of each other. They said something when they were mad one time about somebody else in the group. And if you want to, you can just keep everybody mad at each other. You can just let those drop at the wrong times and the wrong conversations and just constantly keep people stirred up. And you see that happening sometimes. A righteous person doesn't do that. A righteous person's a peacemaker. A righteous person wants to keep people calm and helping each other. But the scoffer just keeps things in flames all the time. Things are always a disaster when they're around. You know, so you've got to be responsible in trying to help people be at peace and work together. Uh, you see that in, in business. You know, if you're ever working on a job, sometimes having the wrong employee can just get people always fighting each other because they're always putting one person against another and always stirring things up comments about that
1: sometimes we don't really think very much when we're insulting someone or something like that we could just be making a joke or something and you know it's just a tiny little flame but it's interesting how it sets a city aflame and, you know, it can just spread and spread and spread without
0: us even knowing. Yeah, good point. We need to be very careful about what we say about others, even jokingly. Sometimes jokes can be very cruel. Sometimes we intended them to be cruel. And it's, you know, what's the bad thing about cruel joking? What if somebody... What about somebody, what if somebody rebukes you for a cruel joke? What will you come back with? Okay. Yeah, that's Redinch. true. Do what? Revenge. You'll say, oh, it was, it, it was
2: just
0: a joke. It was just a joke. It was just a joke. See, it becomes the way of getting out of responsibility. Oh, I'm just joking. <laughs> so you have to be careful about that as well. That can be a, just an excuse. Um, look at verse 9. I like this one. When a wise man has a controversy with a foolish man, the foolish man either rages or laughs and there is no rest. There is no kind of reasonable activity that can be carried on with a fool. You know, whatever he does, it's going to be wrong and it's going to be a problem. You just, it's just, you know, he's he's all over the board, but it's always, you know, unproductive. You know, you can't deal with a fool. He's just going to cause trouble. You know, you get a foolish employee, you know, he's one of your co-workers and just does stupid stuff and outrageous stuff all the time, you know what, quit even trying to deal with him. You know, you try to correct him, it just makes bad matters worse. You try to go to the boss about him, it just makes bad matters worse. Just don't, just, you know, avoid him. I mean, there are people like that, that there's just no way to deal with them. Uh, they're always going to cause trouble. Um, the, the Proverbs shows you there are certain kinds of people that there's really not a way to be helpful to. And if there's not a way to be helpful to them, better off just not even getting involved with them. Comments and thoughts about that? Sometimes we want to think that everybody's good. Well, not everybody's good. Some people are bad news. And then think about verse uh, 10, violent men, you know, hate the righteous, but the upright are concerned for his life. You know, obviously violent people don't like the ones who try to do the right thing. In verse 11, back to the fool, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. You know, a fool is just kind of the slave of every impulse. Is at the mercy of every, you know, irritation that he feels. He's always venting. You know, if he gets upset about any, anything, you know who's going to know it?
2: Everybody. Everybody.
0: <laughs> you know, he never has the ability to actually have a feeling he doesn't express. You know, so whatever he feels, everybody's going to know it. If he's upset... You'll find out right away, because he'll tell you. Is that a wise way to live? You know, there are times just not to say everything you feel. That's just an unwise way to live. Uh, There are times to think and control your emotions. You know, a wise man holds it back. If you're irritated right at the moment, and something really made you angry, just explode, it's not going to be wise. You may feel like that, but you realize if I do that it's just going to hurt me and everybody around me. I'm not going to act that way. So we really need to think and not be a fool just telling everything we feel and venting every frustration and every irritation. We need to be wise and be able to calm ourselves down. Have you ever said something when you were angry and the next day you wish you hadn't? Yeah, we've all done that, haven't we? You know what the better thing to do would be? Wait till tomorrow before you express yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That works much better for me. And typically, I have noticed in myself, if I say what I'm thinking when I'm irritated, Right then. You know what I'm thinking in my mind? Well, I might as well say it now. I'm going to feel the same way tomorrow.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I've noticed a lot of the times I don't. A lot of times the irritation I felt today by tomorrow, it's like, well, it wasn't any big deal, really. A lot of
2: times it's like that within the next few minutes, even. <laughs> <laughs> I have to
0: sleep on it. <laughs> There are some times that after sleeping on it two or three days, I still feel like something needs to be said. Then usually it's okay. Then usually it is something, I'm not saying it out of anger, it is really something that needs to be dealt with, and usually that's productive. But I have a very bad time of evaluating that at the moment when I'm upset. Because when I'm upset, everything seems like I'm going to be just as upset tomorrow and I need to just deal with this right now. And uh, it does not work well for me. I'm much better off saying, wait a minute, I feel like this right now, but I know that I'm not thinking very clearly right now. You know, I feel the emotion. So I need to let the emotion pass and then I can really look at it and see whether or not, is this something that's really a serious matter? Oh, is this something that was no big deal at all? I just need to let it go. Comments about that? A lot of wise proverbs, aren't there? If we just follow these, wow, wouldn't our lives be better? You know? And then, I love verse 12. If a ruler pays attention to falsehood, all his ministers become wicked. Do you see what that's saying? What if the boss favors the people who do wrong? What's everybody in the organization going to start doing? Wrong! Wrong. You know, some rulers, they don't want to hear the truth. They just want to hear flattery. Well, people learn how the game's played. People learn, oh, Well, the thing to do is just tell the boss everything he wants to hear. And guess what? He never hears wise counsel. Hmm. No, that's a bad, bad plan if you're the boss. Because eventually everybody around you will lie to you. Because they find out that lying to you is the way to get ahead with you. You don't want that reputation. You don't want to be that kind of a person. Um, it, it's amazing how much influence the character the ruler has on the people around you. And so, you know, more than what you think, the leader kind of influences the attitude and behavior of, his, of those under him. Um, it's, just, it's just really interesting how that works. Thoughts and comments about that? Some of the, you know, some of these proverbs, we just need to, you know, every little while think about them again, and think, you know, does this have some application for any situation I'm in right now? Because I think a lot of times it really does. And, uh, you know, if you want good advice, always have a reputation as a person who listens to good advice, even if it steps on their toes. You know, there are certain people that I believe I could tell them something critical that I really thought would help them, and they would appreciate it. There's some of you here that I've done that with some, and I know you will take it well. Because you've always taken it well. Because any time I've ever told you something that I thought would help you, even though it was critical, you've thanked me for it and you've appreciated it, and you haven't shied away from me afterwards. You know how I feel? I want to tell you things I think would help you because I know you'll appreciate it. There are some people that I know if I say something, I'll probably get some defensiveness. I may get the person kind of drawing away from me for a while, you know, and all that. You know what I get to doing? Even without thinking about it, I just don't say things that are critical. Because, I, I mean, they're sensitive, they're touchy. You know, if you say something to them, they probably won't take it well. That, that's something to really think about. You know, be the kind of person that, you know, um, pays attention to truth that respects true, honest, sincere relationships. And then you get around you people that are honest and sincere with you and will really tell you what you need to hear. Comments and questions?
1: It's up to us to decide what we want to hear.
0: What do you want to hear? Would you rather hear people Telling you you were great when you weren't? Would you really like to hear people rebuking you when you needed it? I think that's a hard question. Do you really want to hear a rebuke? If If it would be the truth, would you really like for somebody to tell you? Even though it was really painful? I mean, honestly, I struggle with that. That sometimes is hard for me. You know, because i it's like, but well, that'll be embarrassing. <laughs> that'll be awkward. That'll make me feel bad. It's like, why do we worry about feeling bad in the short run? Because it helps us in the long run. It's kind of like, you know, years ago, my, uh, I, 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 we worked in landscaping when I was a kid growing up. And we put down like bark as shrubbery mulch, like garden bark. And we had gloves, but they all had holes in the fingers and things like that. So we get splinters. And, you know, if you just let a splinter go, how does that work, keeping your finger? Usually it gets worse, starts hurting worse and worse. But you know what? When Mom would go in there with the needle to get it out, it really hurt. And sometimes it's like, no, don't, don't go too far, don't go too hard. It was worse. When mom would just kind of pick at it and she wouldn't really get it, it's like it just prolonged the agony. It's like, no, go in there and get it and get it out. It's better. You know, it's so much better to hear the painful rebuke that really helps us. It hurts more right then, but then it's over with. All right, comments or questions about all that? All right, how about 13 to 17?
2: Poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. If a king judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression in increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will
1: also delight in your soul."
0: Okay,
2: Here's something to remember.
0: The poor man and the guy who oppresses the poor man have one thing in common, and what's that? God gives them their life. God gives them their life. Well, if that's true, how should they look at and treat each other? As equals, right? We need to remember that. Did God give life to the poor man as well as to us? Yeah. They're all alike. But sometimes we forget God is equally related to everybody. You know, he gave life to them all. I I read just, uh, I think, perhaps a, a good illustration I realized from a previous generation, but think about how it would apply in situations in your life. I was reading uh, Reader's Digest last month in the book section, had a reprint from like 50 years ago of a, um, a, a, a black man who uh, enrolled in law school at the University of Arkansas, and back in the late 40s actually, and oh my, it was horrible. The treatment that he got just, horrendous for a while. Eventually, by the end of his four years, he had actually got some respect and some sympathy, but at first it was really bad. And, you know, you think, well, how could people act that way? You know, it doesn't matter. Um, But that's so often the way it is. Somebody we look down on. You know, who is it that you look down on? Who is it that to you, you know, is kind of not very respectable? God made them too. You know, and, and you see illustrations from a long time ago, and you think, ah, man, I can't believe people would treat somebody that way. But who do we treat badly? Who do we look down on? God made them both. That's what he's saying. So we always try to be fair and just with everybody because they're God's children too. God's children in a sense, they're God's creation. Comments and thoughts? Then look at 15. How should you treat your your own children? Not that you have any yet, but when you do, how should you raise them? With a stick. <laughs> Meaning? Discipline. Discipline. So your child misbehaves, you spank him. Is that the key to raising children, make sure you spank them enough? Yeah. What's the other thing that they need? Reproof. Reproof. What's the difference between spanking and reproof?
1: One can just be a demonstration of frustration or anger. They're the ones actually made for their good and to teach
0: them. Absolutely. You need to balance those two things out. It is not just spanking, it's also verbally instructing and correcting. And you bring those two things together. You discipline and you speak properly. You give wisdom to the child. So it's important that you communicate and it's important that you discipline. Some parents are bad about communicating. Maybe they'll spank, but they won't talk to their children. They won't explain principles of wisdom to their children. That's part of what we need to do. Think about and don't think about how your parents have treated you. Think about preparing yourself to be a good parent. Be ready to spank properly, but also to speak and communicate, to teach your children. But what about the child who gets his own way? How's that going to be? It's going to be a mess. Can you think of somebody in the Bible that was a child that always got their own way? Scriptures say uh, his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, why have you done so? It would be like Absalom. That's not who this is about. Who's this about? Where his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, why have you done so? You know who that was? Samson? Samson? Not Samson. Adonijah? Adonijah. Who's Adonijah? David's other Another one of David's sons. Seems to me like after David fell with Bathsheba and Uriah, he had a hard time correcting his children. He had a hard time maybe being firm with them. I wonder if he just, his guilt led him to feeling like he wasn't able to correct them. But Adonijah says he never even crossed him. He never even questioned why he was doing something. That's not a good way to raise your child. And how does Adonijah turn out? Shameful. Shameful, Prideful. Disastrous when it's all said and done. It was not a good thing at all. The way he was. You know, either the child's will or the parent's heart is going to be broken. One way or the other. (laughs) And if you let a child get their own way, what would motivate you to let your child have their own way.
2: I think if you are insecure.
0: Yes. You're insecure if you feel guilty. A lot of times, you know, what about, say, parents who have done drugs when they were younger? They have a very hard time telling their kids not to do drugs, because it's like, well, I did it. <laughs> well, just because you did it, should that mean you want your kids to do the same, make the same mistakes you did? The fact that you did it was a bad idea is more reason for you to warn them. But sometimes parents feel like they can't. What is another reason why you let your kid get his own way? It's
1: easier.
0: It's easier! Make him happy right now and he won't yell and scream and embarrass me. Bad plan for the long term, easier ter- plan for the short term. Eric? I might be scared of the child protection agency coming if I'm spanking my kid or something. <laughs> do it, d- d- don't do it in public. <laughs> <laughs> Not just for that reason. Don't shame your kid in front of other people. But yeah, uh, <laughs> that could be in our culture.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that is First Kings chapter 1 verse 6, I think is what I read. Other thoughts about letting your kid have his own way? Just don't do that. You've also got verse 17 correct your son, and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. You know, it's worth it in the long run to invest in the training and development of your children. You, most of you don't have children, it is a lot more work and effort to carefully and wisely raise your children that probably looks like if you haven't done it before. It really does take a lot of effort. And sometimes inconvenient. You know, I mean, you've got to constantly be correcting. You do have to be spanking quite a bit when they're young. You have to really be trying to talk to them a lot and guiding them. And it just takes effort. Sometimes you get lazy. Sometimes it's like, give them what they want, shut them up. No. It's hurting them in the long run. It's going to hurt you in the long run. You, if you're not ready to be a parent until you're ready to really deny yourself and really, um, you know, sacrifice a lot of, of your own, you know, desires to really train your child. It takes a lot of work to raise your children well. Reminds me back to chapter 28, verse 23, where it says, uh, whoever rebukes a man will, f- will afterward
1: find more favor. Yeah. Training a child will find more favor afterward than just doing, giving the child whatever he wants, whatever is easy for us. Yes.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So how many proverbs talk about the long run? <laughs> Instead of just what's going to make me happy tomorrow, or today, or five minutes from now. And so in the long run, it's so much better to train your children well. I mean, think about what happens. Just think about it in practical terms. Little Johnny is throwing a temper tantrum. You are busy. You're tired. You have a headache. There's people around that, are, that you're embarrassed by Johnny throwing a temper tantrum. What is little Johnny throwing a temper tantrum over? He wants this toy you took away from him. Well, what do you do? Give him the toy. And what does that do in the short run for little Johnny? It's
2: okay to do that.
0: Makes him happy. Now little Johnny's happy and he's not throwing a temper tantrum and it doesn't bother my headache and I can get what I need to done. He's not embarrassing me anymore. But when little Johnny's temper tantrum got him the toy, What does that do? I can
1: get what I want
0: when I throw a temper tantrum. And so what's he going to do the next time he wants something?
1: Throw a temper tantrum.
0: And about how many temper tantrums will that giving in to one create? (laughs) Several. (laughs) You give in to one temper tantrum, even if he doesn't get what he wants the next time, he's going to try it a few more times before he finally decides it's not working anymore. So you give in to one temper tantrum, and you're probably leading to about six or eight more, (laughs) even if you don't give in to those. Now, let's say, you know, you give in to one, then you resist about three, and then you give in again. Whoa, then you've got about ten you're going to have to pay for. (laughs) Pretty soon, it's temper tantrum city. That's the only way this operates. And then it's like, well, you gotta give in now because I mean it's just gonna be constant warfare if you don't. You have to hold the line on doing the right thing, and it's hard. It takes a lot of self-discipline. In the short run, you're doing the thing that's harder. But wow, it's so much better. Have you seen the parents whose little Johnnies always throw temper tantrums? Who are always mean and ornery? Is that the kind of kid you want to raise? You know, have you seen parents whose children, young children even, are very obedient and respectful? Not lifeless, but obedient and respectful? Don't you really like that? Isn't it cool being around those families? Well, it didn't happen because they just got a good set of kids, you know? It happened because they were really diligent in raising Don't forget that when you have children. Again, forget about how your parents raised you. This is not a critique on them. All of you are old enough to start thinking about your own children when you have them. I thought about that a lot before I had children. And I think it helped because I'd already kind of set my mind as to how I was going to raise them. You don't want to get into the middle of, you know, raising a little kid and suddenly start thinking, wonder how I should do this, (laughs) you know? Plan it out well before you have them. Maybe even before you marry, <laughs> might be a good idea. Yes. Yeah. Um. That's kind of intimidating to me, in general, this idea
1: of having someone that uh, you're like a child or have children that you're raising. Um. Well, and obviously, <coughs> the best Christians make the best parents, and they're so they're. Uh, just, of Christianity that we need to apply. But what are some things and some you know, some things that we can think about now or developing inside of ourselves that can help us in the long run uh, perhaps when we do uh, have children for a family?
0: Well, you know, one is to really consider what the Bible says about this. I mean God does say quite a bit about parenting. If you really start looking at these principles and even Bible examples of parenting and things like that. So we really need to study it a lot and understand what God says. You really learn in these passages, you need character. You need self-discipline and things like that. So, and you need to be a good person because children will follow their parents' example so you can start working on your character and and your life. Um, I would say, in practical terms, outside of the Bible. You know what the next best thing to do is in terms of uh, learning how to be a good parent? What would you say, Heather?
2: Watch good parents.
0: Absolutely. Look at parents. Well, first of all, look at parents who have raised really good children. Do you see any parent? Do you, look, look at kids that you think, even teenagers or young adults, that you say, wow, those are really fine children. You you, you see maybe three or four siblings that all of them are really good, really strong kids. I would say, for example, you know, look at, you know, Colin and Caleb and Cassie and Cammy. Most of you know some of those. Good kids, aren't they? Good young adults and they're all for good, you know? And, and really good. Well, that would lead me back to talking to Dixon and Nancy and saying, what are some things I need to learn about how to raise good kids? Because I mean, somebody who's been successful, maybe one kid turned out well and the other three were rotten, well, that, maybe not that so helpful. But when several are really good, Then it makes you think, well, there must be something that those parents did right. You know, so talk to them. Observe parents as they're raising children. Do you see some families where the children seem to have a lot of life, but they are obedient and respectful? And you see other families where they just seem to have constant struggle and tension and chaos? Start watching. I remember, for example, I may have used this before, But I, uh, one of the places where I kind of uh, did a little bit of uh, experimental preaching, I got to live in different families' homes over a summer, several different homes. And that was really interesting, because I got to watch these parents as they dealt with their little kids. And one of the homes where I was, great people who were parents, spiritually, I thought I really liked them, really respected them, really leaders in the group, but with their kids, it was just fascinating. These kids were like, I think as I remember, they be like three and five or something like that. And I saw what happened, because so I watched this happen. I watched as you know, Junior misbehaved, a Mom would say, don't do that, Junior would stop. Then he'd start again, and Mom would say, don't do that, Junior would stop. Then he start again, and Mom would say, if you do that again, I'll spank you, and Junior would stop. They do. If, I, if you do that again, I said, I thank you. Literally, I saw it get to the point where mom got up and took a step and Junior stopped. She said, down. No. she got up and took three steps and Junior stopped. It was like a 20 minute process. It was like, wow, this is awesome. I, I learned a lot from that. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was negative. And they were good people, I respected them, you know, in many ways. But they were, you know, I don't think she realized the game that was going on. I mean, she was distracted or whatever, she'd done it before. And so it was just kind of her mentality as to how to deal with the kids. But the kids weren't good. They were really rotten kids, even at that stage. And, and living when they're home for a week or two, I saw what was going on. You know, what happens does a parent you say if you do that again I'll spank you and then you don't what did you just do you just lied to him you know I said you do that again and I'll spank you and I don't do it I just lied well what does the kid find out doesn't matter <whistles> so watch examples also and <coughs> pray you know uh, and I would say You know, you do as you think best. But you know something that Sandra and I did before we even got married? Is we talked some about our principles and ideas about raising children. You know, that's going to be an important part of our life together. You know, I wouldn't have wanted to marry someone that we really had totally opposite ideas about how we ought to raise our kids. That would not work well. So that's something that I insisted that we discuss and think about before we even got married. Other thoughts, right?
1: In all cases, kids do exactly what you train them to. So you know, Junior knew that you know once she takes seven steps or you know once the exactly. vein on her forehead pops out, <laughs> that's time to obey.
0: You know the decibel level that is is the threshold. You know, it's interesting. Have you ever seen parents that don't yell at their children but their children are still obedient? There's not a whole lot of those around, but watch them. And you'll see parents who consistently don't yell but do discipline, their children will obey them when their parents talk in a calm voice. You don't have to yell. If the children learn that a calm statement by the parent has to be obeyed also. (laughs) You know, the child does learn, you know, what to do. And don't ever fall into this trap. I hear parents doing this in various ways. Basically saying, I don't know why I got such rotten kids. (laughs) And they're not talking about 20 year olds, they're talking about two year olds. Granted, you know, you get to be an adult You're responsible for your own actions. But a two-year-old didn't just inherit a rotten two-year-old. Now, granted, kids have different personalities when they come out of the womb. And, you know, you're not going to just change their personality. But you can raise a good kid, you know, all along by your actions. You didn't just get a rotten one. So, other
1: thoughts? remember yeah. what you expect of them is what they're going to do. That too. My dad uses the example in a sermon, so I'm going to use it. That <laughs> my grandfather used to raise pigs. And the, people, the pigs, they expect them to be living in the mud, and they expect that. And so they live in the mud. My grandfather raised them indoors. He would have an indoor hard floor for them. And instead of having the mud, they would go out, they'd do the ridge, and they'd come back in, and they'd wipe their feet as they come in. And they live indoors. Because
0: that's what he expected of me. That's how he raised my parents. That's great. That's a good illustration. It's very true. It's very true. Kids will live up or down to your expectations. So if you always tell your kids how horrible they Guess what? They'll probably be horrible. If you tell your kids how good they can become with God's help, they'll want to become that. All right, other thoughts? Good to think about those things. Um, All right, how about 18 to 21?
1: Where there is no vision, the people are unre- unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. A slave will not be instructed by words alone, for though he understands, there will be no response. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool in him. He who pampers him,
2: pampers his slave from childhood will in the end find him to be a good son.
0: Okay. Um, look at verse 18 where there's no vision the people are in restraint that passage is actually translated several different ways and understood different ways but look at it in the light of the last half happy is he who keeps the law I think when he's talking about vision here he means a, a God's instruction you know Uh, God's prophets would get the revelation of God in a vision. So he's saying where there is no instruction from God, then the people are unrestrained. If you don't have God's word, then people just cast off all restraint and they go wild. You know, uh, their hormones and emotions will just decide everything for them. You know, so if there is no word from God, if there's no law, if there's no righteous principles, watch out. You know, there's really no limit. It's one of the problems with the idea of why God didn't create man, there is no God, evolution made everything. Evolution is not a moral thing. So if there's really no God, then who decides what's right? Society, well, why does society know any more about it than I do? You know, and society changes. So if we sacrifice the idea there is truth and there's an almighty creator, ruler, judge, eventually people just decide they can do anything they want to. And so there's no order, there's no principles, it's chaos. You don't want that thoughts about that the very true principle look at the end of the book of Judges you know everybody did what was right in his own eyes those last five chapters disaster city Wow some of the most horrible stuff that ever happened in the Bible happened in those last five chapters of Judges and he flanks it beginning and end everybody's doing what's right in his own eyes this is what you get here yes
1: as the contrast is interesting, because the second half is "but happy is he who keeps law," referring that the first half, the unrestrained people are unhappy. Yeah. But it's is a lot of times we think having freedom is going to give me happiness, it's going to give me fulfillment, when really it's going to find us to be very unpleasant and being very uh, sorrowful.
0: Excellent point. Yeah. Yeah. You don't really find happiness in just going wild. Ultimately, that's an unpleasant way to live. All right, how about uh, verse uh, 19? What are you going to have to do with a slave? Beat him? him. Stick. Beat him, yeah. (laughs) At least there's going to have to be some kind of punishment. Just words won't work. Isn't that true? Now I realize we don't have slaves. (laughs) <laughs> but this principle applies in a lot of situations. If, um, if the boss at work says, please don't be late for work, what happens? Nothing. You're still late for work. The boss says again, please don't be late for work.
2: What will make people not late for work? Taking money I'll fire you if you late for work. Yeah.
0: Like,
2: um... Like, to
0: diminish your pain. Yeah. Well, there are consequences. You know, I mean, some jobs are like the point system. You know, you're late, you get a you know, point, you are absent without an excuse, you get three points, you know, and you get so many points and you're fired. Now that works because there's consequences. So people decide not to be late if so they value their job. But if it's just the boss says, please don't be late. You know, if there's no real consequences, the slave doesn't learn. You know, the, the, the person under you doesn't learn. You know, what if, what if, what if the, the President of the United States just said, uh, please please don't steal? You know, well, what would happen? That's all there was to it. You know, the teacher says, please don't cheat on your test. But watches people copy off of each other and doesn't do anything about it. See, just words don't work. We know how that is. So it's the same thing with your slave. There's no consequences. Well, words are not adequate. Though he understands there'll be no response. I know what you're saying. But it doesn't mean anything because you don't do anything about it. You gotta do something about it before somebody will listen. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. the way that goes. Thoughts getting pretty wise principles.
1: Is that can only be applied to? Um, is this a principle that he's telling us that works, or is he I'm saying that it only applies to having like an uh,
0: employee-employer? I think it works in a know. lot of yeah. relationships. There's no consequences, then people mm-hmm. don't listen. You know, I don't know what else would you think about applying it to. I was just
1: thinking about, you know, how to deal with brethren and and each other. You know, what are some ways? Well,
0: what about if you say, please don't live with your father's wife, but you don't discipline? (coughs) Yeah, that's a good illustration. You say, please, please work for a living. Don't mooch off your brethren, but there's no consequences. Yeah, I think in in a lot of situations, consequences, you know, make the difference. You know, you learn from the pain. All right, how about verse uh, 20? This is amazing. This is the second one of these we've seen. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for, for a fool than for him. You know, in Proverbs, it is tough to imagine what would be worse than a fool. If you've studied Proverbs up the now, whoa, more hope for a fool than for him? I mean, the fool is like the bottom of the totem pole in Proverbs. So when you're outclassed by a fool, you are bad. Who is that? The guy who speaks hastily. Wow. That's something to really think about. Look at Proverbs 26, 12. That's the other one. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So the two groups that are even worse than a fool in Proverbs, the guy who's wise in his own eyes, the prideful person, and the one who's hasty in his words, those are the two groups that are even worse than a fool. That's something to really think about. Are those the same group? <laughs> yes. He's <laughs> wise in his own eyes. He'll want to impart wisdom to everyone around him. Yes, he'll think everything he says is wonderful and sort will talk without thinking. Yeah. But here, definitely, think before you speak. You know, be careful when you're very upset, you know, when you're prideful. When you think everybody needs to hear, you know everything you have on your in your mind. Uh, you know when you want to share some juicy bit of uh, information about someone else. You know, etc. There's all kinds of places and situations we have to be slow to speak. And um, then in verse 21, we're back to the slave. He who pampers his slave from childhood will in the end find him to be a son you know, you don't discipline the slave at the beginning, there'll be trouble later on you know, an indulgent master creates an ungovernable slave Um, you know this might be an illustration Um, this is from another era but at Florida College when I was there um, for a few weeks I was like the dorm monitor and, uh, you know, you, you were supposed to do room checks. I mean, I don't know if any of that's done anymore at FC, but, but back then you do room checks and they had to be in the room. Then you had lights out. Unless they had permission for late, late lights, the lights all had to be out by midnight. Again, wow, times have changed, haven't they? If any of you have been there. But, uh, but so, you know, I thought about it. I mean, I, kind of, uh, I was kind of in the middle of the semester and I, I, I took over for that. What I decided to do, I was pretty strict right at first. I was pretty, you know, I'd, you know, I, mean, people get demerits off of not, you know, obeying. So I was strict on, you know, if they weren't in their room at the right time, you know, I'd turn them in. If they weren't damn my lights out, you know. And then after I'd established the pattern that I was going to be tough, I could relax a little bit more. If they were getting their lights turned out or whatever, they have to be quite so strict. But I realized I've got to let it be seen immediately that I'm not just gonna let people get by with anything. And, and that's often true. You got a slave. you got an employee. You don't have to teach him from the beginning. You gotta obey. Him. You know, can't get by with stuff. Then as you establish that respect, you may be able to back off just a little bit and it'll work. But if you start out indulging him, you got a problem. Comments? All right. How about uh, twenty-two to twenty-seven?
2: An angry person
0: st-
2: <clears throat> an angry person starts a conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits twenty-six. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. The accomplices of thieves are their own enemies. They are put under oath and dare not testify. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Many seek an audience of the Lord, but it is from the Lord that one gets justice. The righteous detest the dishonest, the wicked detest the upright.
0: So, an angry man will stir up strife, a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression, Anger is like a breeding ground for sin. There's so many bad things that come out of anger. I understand there are moments of righteous anger in the Bible. Jesus was angry a couple times. But the vast majority of times that anger is dealt with in the Bible, it's a bad thing. Because it's usually selfish anger. It's rarely godly anger like Jesus had. So anger normally leads to just all kinds of bad things you know stirring up strife, you know and transgression that abounds. you got to control your temper. And I think we don't think about that as much as we ought to. you know I think we are uh, unwise a lot of times about anger. We would think about other kinds of sins as being really bad. You know if I were to have asked you, you know, list the worst sins you can think of. What would we say? Murder, Murder, stealing, adultery, drugs, you know, lying, cussing. You know, I wonder how far we get in our list before we put anger. And yet I think anger is probably a bigger problem for most of us than some of those others. We tend just not to see that as being so bad. But look at all the damage that it does here. Comments or thoughts you have, Nick? In
2: God's
0: eyes, all sin is the same. Yeah, it's true in some ways, at least. Uh, But some sins have a lot more serious consequences, and anger is one of those. Anger just leads to all kinds of problems. So it kind of like... Some sins seems like they just set off a whole tidal wave of sin. And anger is kind of like that. It just is the breeding ground for so many other sins to grow out of that. So we have to really watch that. Other thoughts? Then he says in 23 that uh, pride will bring a man low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. It's just what Jesus said, right? You know, he who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, it's kind of like everything gets reversed. So you humble yourself now, you'll be exalted later. Uh, but if you get your exaltation now, you'll be humbled later. We really need to think about the reverse effects of pride and humility in the long run. And then look at verse 24. What's he saying? You know what the first part's saying, right? What shouldn't you do? Hang
2: out with a thief.
0: Not just hang out with a thief, but team up with a thief. Yeah, don't be a a partner in crime. Don't be an accomplice with a thief. But what about the second part? He hears the oath, but tells nothing. What does that mean? Megan? Like, in court, he'd be a witness, but he wouldn't say anything. Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, Leviticus 5.1, Now, if a person sins after he hears a public adjuration to testify when he's a witness, whether he's seen or otherwise known, if he does not tell it, then he won't bear his guilt. I think the idea is, you know, You're put under under oath in court, but you don't say what you know. You know, you didn't commit the the, the theft, but you have information about it that you withhold. You could have given evidence and helped catch the thief, condemn the thief, but you want to protect him. That is also wrong. Seeking to protect the evildoer is like being an accessory to the sin. Uh, I don't know that we think about that as much as we ought to. Uh, but, but hearing the oath, being put under oath as a witness, but not telling what we know, in that sense, is sin. Thoughts and comments about that? All right, look at 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. You don't want to fear men. And verse 26 goes right with that. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. You know, when we fear the, fear man and we try to get men's approval, it just is a trap for us. It's so much more important to seek God's approval and God's favor and not worry about what men expect of us and trying to please them. Can you think of some examples in the Bible of people who feared men and it was bad for them? In Galatians 6, Paul says that the Judaizing teachers wanted to make a good showing in front of men. Good point. Yeah, it's a little deeper example. It's exactly right. Their motivation for teaching the false doctrine was seeking men's approval and trying to get in good with their fellow Jews, non-believing Jews,
2: yeah blind man's parents in John
0: 9 yeah the blind man's parents were afraid to even say who had healed their son because they didn't want to get ex-synagogued as they would have if they had been open about their faith in Jesus
2: hey in Mark 6
0: when he didn't want to go against this uh, wanted to save face in front of his dinner guests because he'd make that foolish oath and he didn't want to look like too much of a wimp that he wasn't, didn't have the stomach to kill John yeah good point who else? That, that's some good ones. Not the ones I had, though. People who fear men in the Bible. Eric. Um,
1: uh, the first king of Israel. Saul. Saul. Saul, when he feared the voice of the people in chapter 15, and as a result, he, he obeyed their voice. Yeah, that
0: may have almost been more his excuse than the reason, but yeah, if he was really honest about that, right. How about Peter when he denied Jesus? <laughs> that was pretty consequential. What about Abraham and Isaac when they lied about their wives? Because they were afraid. We just always hurt this when we're worried about pleasing people or when we're fearing people. We ought to seek to please the Lord. You know, don't worry about even seeking the ruler's favor. Because in the long run, there's no ruler that really governs the world. It's God. So don't worry about what pleasing some important person. You please the Lord. He's in charge of the important people. That's a lot more uh, uh, valuable in the long run. Comments or thoughts? And then verse 27. There are two ways of life that are just totally incompatible. An unjust man is abominable to the righteous. He who is upright in the way is abominable to the wicked. Righteous and wicked people detest each other's lifestyle. You know, they're just two totally opposite ways of life. We want to try to merge them somewhere in the gray area in the middle doesn't work. You know, if you're really righteous, you hate wicked actions. Because you love God. And wicked people can't stand righteous acts. They're just two totally separate, opposite attitudes, lifestyles, and destinies. Comments and questions? Alright, well that leaves us a couple more chapters of Proverbs. We'll see how that